There's a scripture the Lord brought to my mind this morning that wasn't part of my sermon, but I'm going to actually start with it. The Lord says in Psalm 68, verse 6, he says this, God sets the solitary in families. He brings those who are bound into prosperity. Come on, amen to that. God takes... Another version would say, God takes the lonely and he plants them in families. Something that we've pursued and we've pursued a lot has been culture of family. Um, Anytime I get up here and I share these things, I never want to claim that we figured everything out. We sure haven't. We're learning. But one of the things that we really have a heart for is for that a crowd would become a community, but a community would become a family. It's, it's great to go from a crowd to a community, but we haven't hit it until the communities become a family. Because God's heart is that he would be able to take the lonely and plant them in a family. There's a lot of lonely people out there. And God wants to create, how many of you know though that what we want to be is we want to be a healthy family. So when God takes that person and they plant them in our family, they don't come into a family that's all messed up and don't get me wrong we all have our issues but they get planted in a family where they can thrive I'm so proud of I'm so proud of the team this morning you'll notice Tiffany sat down here today and um, the 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 whole team just did such a good job today Um, especially those that stepped in with leading uh, Lauren and Gerilyn did a great job. And why that's so important, though, is we have to create an atmosphere where people can step out and do things they wouldn't do unless they felt safety within family. There's certain things my son will do with me he will not do with everyone else because he knows dad will catch him. My son, <laughs> my, I don't think my son would let anyone just do a trust fall. You know, he knows dad's got him, but he ain't no dummy. He knows that I got his best interest, but, and so what God wants, though, is that we can create an atmosphere where people can step out and try things, and it's okay. I mean, they just, I'm taking that as an example because I feel it's like it's so important that we get this. For me personally, I remember when I first started leading worship, man, it was bad. I mean, I did not do very good. Most of you don't, wow, a lot of you don't even know I lead worship. <laughs> Culture's changing. <laughs> I led worship for like 15 years, and, and um, I remember one of the first times I stepped out, and it was something, I've got my freedom now, but I'll never forget it. Someone came up to me and said something, my first time ever leading, said something to me, they said, don't quit your day job. Someone who was a really predominant person in the house. And it, it hurt. I punched him after, no, I was joking. <laughs> I, I, I think someone, no, I, and I, I never forget that because it was very unhealthy, and don't get me wrong, hurt people say hurt, hurting things, um, but I want to create a culture where people feel celebrated, yeah. and um, you know, like I said, I, I remember doing it my first few times, it was just rough, man, I remember, I, I, I was really not that great for a while, I would send out the list like Saturday night, and oh, team's ministry, was, they're so kind, and um, we continued to grow, and, but it's so neat to see people starting to step into things and do well. But that's what God wants. He wants to plant us into a family where you will begin to prosper. Prosper is not just 
financially. It includes finances. But that you'd begin to prosper. And we hear... Uh, we hear a lot about um, apostolic churches. We hear about apostles and prophets, and I talk about that a lot. And this morning, I want to talk to you just quickly about the correlation between an apostolic church and a family, because you can't be an apostolic church if you're not a family. You have a probably a, we, uh, there's a very poor understanding of even the word apostolic if we don't understand the importance of relationships and the importance of family. And I want to lay a foundation for this real quickly, and it's very simple. It's probably the most apostolic prayer we know, and it's the Father's prayer when he said this. He said, he said Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven, right? He taught us that he was teaching us how to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Really, I would think it'd be more called the believer's prayer because more honestly, he's teaching you how to pray. And he said, here's how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've all learned this probably if we've been around church at all. We learned it as a kid. But something that I want to highlight about a few of these things is, number one, that heaven was never meant to just be a destination of the believer. It was actually meant to be the model for the believer. It wasn't meant... It wasn't meant to be watered down to the place where come into the kingdom of God so when you die, you finally get to go to heaven. And, and, and we sing songs, and we used to sing songs, and we're still correcting some of our ways of thinking. And my, my dad used to say it this way. He said there was that one song, I'll Fly Away. And he was just that one verse, just a few more weary days here and there. He's like, what a terrible thing to sing as a believer, you know, just a few more weary days. When, when, I mean, when the Bible says that when you come into the kingdom, you come into him, he comes into you, and the fullness of what he has is now in you. And I never saw Jesus saying just a few more weary days until I get to be back with you. He was the perfect representation. You want to talk about the perfect theologian? It was Jesus, because he literally only did what God did. And here he is setting this example. He says, I want to teach you something. Here's your prayer. Ready? It's two things you got to catch. One, on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven's not just where you're trying to get to. It's what you want this to look like. Two, our father. He modeled family. Our father. And say, our God our Father. We see this word, I talk about apostolic, and if you've gone to this church for six months or more, you've heard me break this down, but I still want to break it down for you again for anybody that's not been here. We use words like apostle. We use words like apostolic, and I think sometimes we can even get into just throwing these words around. I don't think everybody always knows what they mean. And so the interesting thing, a word about the apostle all right, let's break it down even more from that. First of all, apostolic is apostle-like. Apostle-like, that's what that word means. That's like when we say we're supposed to represent Jesus. Break it down, we're supposed to represent Jesus. Apostolic is apostle-like. We're all called, how many know we're all called to be apostolic? We're all called to be a little. We're all called to be apostolic, okay? We're not all called to be apostles. I've been in rooms where they thought there was like 30 apostles there, and it's just, it's weird. It's like, wow, there's like a lot of apostles here. I don't think you all, 
Remember that movie, Princess Bride? I do not think you know what that word really means. Or what does he say? I do not think that word means what you think it means. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think sometimes we get these words that we don't really know what they mean. And um, so, here, so here we are. We've got the word apostle. Well, how can we be like an apostle if we don't know what the word apostle means? So we got to know what the word apostle means. Where'd the word apostle come from? The apostle, the word came from this. Back in the days, a long, long, long time ago with the Roman ships, there was a lead ship that was called the apostle ship. You with me? The apostle ship was the one that would lead the way and the purpose of the apostle ship and their whole fleet was this. It was to go into newly conquered territory, to step into that new land and to make that land look like Rome. The idea was is that the apostleship and the fleet would step into these new territories, say, we're going to create our road systems. It's kind of like for you if you were to go on vacation to a... I went to Mexico uh, with Craig and Rachel in Cancun. Never drive in Mexico if you're not used to driving, but I drove. And I, the roads were crazy, and, and it was craziness. Well, it was the same concept with the, with the apostleship and the fleet. They came in and said, we want to make this into a city, into a culture that when the king comes, it feels like home, it looks like home, the roads are like home, the schools are like home, the languages are like home. So what an actual word apostle means is to make a newly conquered territory look like home. When the, Jesus said, Pray, our Father on earth in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, he was saying our job is to actually make earth look like heaven. So when the Father's here, he says, this feels like home. I want the Father to show up on, on when, he, when, he, when he shows up in all of his power and glory on a Sunday morning to say, man, this feels like home. The whole purpose of this apostolic team was to make one land look like another land. He actually meant it when he said, make earth look like heaven. You make a lot of people mad when you say that. Because people will accuse you of a lot of different things. But you can't get around it. That he said, your job is to make earth look like heaven. It's to bring heaven to earth. But even more than that, make earth look like heaven. I can bring Charlotte, North Carolina to wherever I go when I go there. Doesn't mean I make there look like Charlotte. We pray these prayers like let's bring heaven to earth and that's starting. But now let's make earth look like heaven. Oh. <laughs> if you, I'm gonna, it says in, let's see here, where was it? In First Timothy, First Timothy one. Let's read something to you. First Timothy. Chapter 1 says this, verse 18. Let me just give you some context here. You got Paul, he's talking to Timothy. 
and he's, he's basically in guiding him. From, he is an apostle. He's guiding him. Here's how you impact your city. Here's how you see reformation. Here's how you see things change. And that's where we come in. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. By this charge I commit to you, what, Timothy? Son, Timothy. We fly right over these things. Our Father who's in heaven. My son, Timothy. The kingdom of God is in the... Con- Your Bible, we, we say this all the time, read it in context. But the whole thing is in the context of family. Brides. Groom. Sons, daughters, fathers, mothers. You can't remove the context of family and understand your Bible. Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying, I want to give you some keys, Timothy. He's saying that kingdom, you, you, first of all, you have to understand that it's got to be in the context of family. Kingdom, apostolic government is, works like a family. This is so important, folks, it's changing because I grew up in a, I grew up in a denominational background, you know, which is fine. But the, the one weakness I would say that we can find in denominations is that people tend to gather around agreements and doctrines opposed to gathering around what the Lord is speaking. The problem with that that can arise, and I grew up my whole life in the assemblies of God. I'm not knocking them. I'm not dogging them. Um, but what can arise is that when God begins to speak something new to someone else and it doesn't agree with their statement of faith, they say you need to go. That's why you keep getting more denominations. It's because they say, and you say, well, why does that denomination look so much like that denomination? Well, it's because they kicked them out when they figured that out. And so they say, well, I'm going to start another one that's just like that one except one little thing here. What would it look like, though, if we could actually build without kicking people out when they don't see eye to eye on something? That's actually what unity is. The problem is, is we've defined unity as uniformity. When we say, well, we need to be unified, don't disagree. That's not unity. That's uniformity. My wife and I, are we are in unity. We do not agree on everything. <laughs> She's like, and I'm right. <laughs> when we're leaving and coming back home, so funny. She's like, I'm like, I'm so ready to be home. And she's like, I am so not. I mean, she was like, leave me a day or two. I'm like, I'm not. But the point is, is that's okay. It didn't change the fact we weren't now in disunity. We just had different opinions. The reason that it gets built that way is because we build things based on control. And you feel like you're losing control if people have different opinions. So Paul's saying, we're going to shift culture. But there's a couple things you need to grab. Number one, the concept of family. Number two, you need to fight by those prophetic words. He said, by those prophecies that you've been given, fight. Now, and I know we've, this is a, 
beating a drum we beat all the time, but I'll beat it again. He never said to fight for the prophecies. He said fight from them. What would the church look like if you actually believe what the Lord said about you? And instead of fighting to believe it, you started just saying, I, all right, I've settled this in my heart. I believe it, and I'm fighting from it. I had that conversation with my, my kids on the way to church this morning. There's this new promise the Lord's put on my heart for my family. And um, I, I just I told them, I said, all right, guys, let's dream together. And um, we just started talking in the car about where the Lord was going to take us in this certain area. And I told Tiffany, I said, you know, either we believe him or we don't. But I believe him. And so now I can stand on that and I can fight from that. Paul was telling Timothy, listen, kid, if you are going to change a city, you have to fight from these words. You got to fight from these words. It was so incredibly important that he got that. It was also so incredibly important that they understood the culture of family. They had to get that. There's an interesting scripture that we don't read very often, but it's in Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 4, uh, verse 6. It's the last passage in Malachi, and it says this, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You know what that curse was? It was motherless and fatherlessness. He said, I'm turning these hearts back to each other. If not, there's going to be a curse. What's the curse? It is no fathers. It is no mothers. It is the hearts of the children and the fathers pulled apart. That was the curse. We can't be okay with, um, we can't be okay with being lone rangers in what the Lord's doing in the kingdom right now. You won't last long. You'll get shot down. You'll take a lot of beatings that you don't need to take. I don't like beatings. I was always a pretty good kid. My brother and sister, they took all the beatings. I think my parents just got tired by the time I came, honestly. <laughs> Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, every sibling's got this. I don't know if I was good or they were just worn out. Either way, I came out the best. And, uh, <laughs> but I know this. I don't like beatings, and I've learned when I try to go about this thing on my own, I get beat up. I get beat up. People, when you, you, it's an interesting cycle because when people start getting frustrated, the first thing they do, you can see it in a heartbeat, the first thing they do is withdraw from community. Every single time. I can point it out. If I see somebody starting to disappear, I know there's almost always a root of something that happened. And the first thing they did was disappear from community. The problem with that is, is now what you've done is you've said, hey, devil, I'll be your playground. Come beat me. Come play all over me. And so now, all of a sudden, then everything begins to grow in our minds and in our hearts, and things begin to take off and bloom. I felt like that was even a word for today that the Lord was wanting us to guard our hearts because what he wants to do, what he wants to plant needs to be in good soil. And how many of you know that, that, that weeds aren't that hard to pull out, but they still choke out the good stuff? And so here we are. Malachi said, listen, I want to turn these hearts back to each other, but it says in the book of Malachi, but if it doesn't, there's going to be a curse, and the curse is, is that you'll be motherless and fatherless. 
The danger that we run into is that we can begin to replace mothers and fathers with teachers. They're both needed. Thankfully, I grew up, I had a good dad that taught me. There's nothing more that is irritating to a kid than honestly, when you've fallen down and you've gotten hurt and the first thing they go into is teach mode instead of father mode. A father, I remember a long time ago when I was youth pastoring, I had this troubled teenage girl in our youth group and um, she, she ran away from home and I mean, it was a crazy scenario, like took off on the back of a motorcycle with another person and I was there and I saw it and I followed them and it was just crazy and I found them, I found her and she was hiding, she was sitting behind a pool like, like this and, and just a mess. And I'll never forget this situation. I remember I got down on my knee and I just started talking with her, just talking, saying, all right, you know this, yada, yada, yada. When her dad showed up, he just ah, yanked her and drug her off. I'll never forget he told me after that, he came back, said, I think I made a mistake. I said, I think you did too, pops. <laughs> it definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't the... Uh, the son coming home moment for you. Um, it wasn't your best moment. He said, when I walked up, he said, and I saw you on your knee, he said, I should have got on my knee too. Sometimes a teacher, their immediate response, and this is how teachers work. Something happens. Well, why'd that happen? Let's get to the bottom of it. I want to punch somebody in the teeth when they do that to me. I'm like, I don't care at the moment. Just feel like junk right now. <laughs> and, and, but see, a father, a father comes and says, I know your heart's hurting. I see it. We're going to we're gonna get to this, but if we don't get to your heart first, there's no point teaching you because you never hear a word I say. And what the church has done is we have, we have had a tendency to replace fathers and mothers with pastors and teachers. And in a sense, what's happened is, is people don't feel a safe place that they can fall. Because I don't need someone else to teach me how to get up. I need someone to love me up. You'll grow. You will see. There won't be a seat empty in this place within three months if we grasp this message that people are looking for family. And we actually show it to them because they're hungry for it. We can't replace them. I'm going to flip over a few passages. You still with me? Yes. Hope I'm not moving in slow mo. I'm still on vacation mode. It says in 1 Corinthians, I'll tell you what, if you've got your Bible, you can flip there. 1 Corinthians 4.14. First Corinthians 4.14 says this. It says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Can you hear the, could you just hear the voice of a father in Paul? I'm not writing this stuff to shame you guys. I'm right, I just want to write this to you as I love you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, 
yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, and I teach you in every church. Stop there. Any, I've heard it said this way. Anytime there's a therefore in your Bible, make sure you understand what it's there for. People, I love when preachers start on a therefore. You're like, whoa, what are you, therefore what? You know, it's like, you know, I always like, we'll back it up. He says, therefore, well, there, what's the therefore? Look at what he just said. You have thousands of teachers. Where's your dad's? Because of that, therefore, because of that, I want you to pay attention to Timothy, my son, because he's going to teach you how this is supposed to work. It's supposed to be a family. I love Paul. I love how he operated. He's like, I'm not just going to teach it to you. I'm going to plop him right there. See, watch him. Because he gets it. He gets it, that it's more than just a, a teaching. It's more, than a, it's more than a doctrine. It's more than a theology. It's more than, a, it, it's a family. And he said, you guys, you guys, all these teachers, fantastic. Because you're in trouble because you don't have any dads. I'm talking about, a, I really have, I've been preaching on this for about a year or two, honestly, and it's really a different way of doing church. I remember the first time I preached on it, I got so many emails about when I started talking about family and changing and denominational and difference between that and non-denominational and building around, um, you know, what God's doing, and that scares some people. But the problem is, is that the, the, the scripture I see, that's how it's modeled. And we can't throw that out. And Paul is, is, is trying to get this point across. And family, is, is, it's formed around fathers and mothers. So the question is, what kind of church do we want to have? Do we want to have a church with a lot of good teaching? That's great. You should have that. Or do we want to have a church that is a family? Because that good teaching sometimes doesn't cut it. See, fathers have an entirely different approach to family. That sounds like a little baby. <laughs> fathers have an entirely different approach. I've already talked about this some, so I'm not going to backtrack. But fathers respond out of a father's heart of, are you okay? Can I help you back up? Moms and dads, what do we do? I mean, if you're in my house, we clean messes all the time. I have three kids. That's all I do. What did you do on vacation? I cleaned. <laughs> and, and it's a challenge, but the reality is, is moms and dads clean messes. Um, I, <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, my dad would get frustrated. I'd leave things out. Oh, I get it now. I get it now. I wouldn't say that if he was here. I'm too stubborn still. But um, he'll probably listen to the podcast anyways. But uh, I, I, I remember I'd leave his tools out. Oh, he gets so mad at me. But 
my kids, man, they leave things out. But here's the thing. I'm okay. I, I don't want them not to have a life. I know that for a child to have a life, for a child to begin to become who they are, they have to have the ability to do things. And for them to do things, I got to clean the messes. We've gotten this idea that spiritual mothers and fathers, and I think what's happened is, is we've slapped these titles on all these different people that sometimes are not spiritual mothers and fathers. If I could be so bold to say, if someone won't ever come off this platform to hear your heart, they're probably not a father or mother. I'm not saying they're not a good teacher. They may be a good pastor. They may be a good evangelist. They may be a lot of good things, but they're probably not a father or mother. Because a father or mother, I remember we had Brian Simmons in, and he, he said this thing. He said, you know, he said, when I ran a church, he said, we just, we let people just go for it all the time. He's like, I clean messes all the time. The problem is, is when you don't want to clean up any more messes, you stop letting people have freedom. And then you end up with control. And that's, how the, that's how things have evolved to get where they are. And God's reversing that and saying, listen, I, I, I want you to be in the place where you need, you need your moms and dads. And moms and dads, you need the children. It's not all about agreeing all the time. It's about saying we're family. I, I love holidays with families. I love meeting people's families at holidays. It's kind of just a, I like it when they bring them to church because you see how different families are. Anybody else? Maybe it's just a weird thing for me, but people bring their family, I'm like, that's your brother? <laughs> Dude, this guy's crazy, you know? And then you got someone like this really like stoic and their brother's nuts. And then vice versa. And you like meet these family members. like, And it's so interesting to say that, you know what? I bet when you sit around the table, there's some crazy conversations. I don't know about your family. It can get, it can get crazy sometimes around the holidays with family. <laughs> All right. Transparent moment. My brother is crazy. Just, I'm going to tell you, if you know my brother, he's nuts. I love him to death. He is the major Italian one of my family. You may not know this. My mom's Italian. I know I look, right? My dad's from the Irish side, so you can tell who I picked up from. But um, my brother is the Italian one. My brother is the straight up, like, I remember one time we were riding through a Walmart parking lot, and someone was coming the wrong way, you know, those little arrows? And he just parked and put it in park and looked at him. I'm like, cheer me. I'm like... I mean, he was like, I'm not moving. He's like, uh, he probably could have squeezed out of the way. He's just like, what? Poof, park. <laughs> I was just like, I'm like, Jeremy, you're being a jerk. And uh, <laughs> now, now, now my mom's dad, who he's his past now, she, he was the Italian that my brother got everything from. He was the Italian that, like, I remember he used to work um, – I don't remember what shift it was, but uh, I think it was third shift. So he'd come home and go to sleep at, you know, five, six in the morning. And he had this neighbor that had this muscle car. And so every morning, right about when he'd fall asleep, this neighbor lights this car up. This, whoa, 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 whoa. You know how this car is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And one day he just got tired of it. And my mom said she woke up, though, seeing her dad and the neighbor rolling around in the street. <laughs> fist fight. And then, like, the next day they were fine. It's like, that's how Italians work. I'm cool with that. I would rather a punch to the face than a, gr a grudge for three years. 
And then, so that's my mom's side of the family. And, it's, and uh, so you've, you've got... You've got these different people. And so when we go there, it's always like really different because my dad and they're all so different. I don't know how they ended up together. Oh, well, they ended up together and we got this beautiful family. And when we go there, it's like you're sitting there and to be honest with you, things that wouldn't fly if you weren't family fly. I said things that wouldn't fly if you weren't family fly. Because at the end of the day, it's like, listen, the dumbest thing you could have said, but I love you. When we get to that point in the church, in the body of Christ, that we can say, listen, man, I love you. You probably shouldn't have said that, but I'm your family. I'm here with you, and I love you. It changes everything. Drops people nuts, some people. Some people want to get offended. It's like, would you, let, would you please offend me? I'm trying to get offended, and you just keep loving me. And you're, I mean, some people are like, they are on this mission to get offended. And it, it's like when you're mad and someone's laughing, you know? It's like, stop being happy. I am angry, you know? And someone's like, uh, you know, they just constantly are trying to get offended. Then you've just got people like, I love you. And there's, you know, and it's like, oh, but I'm mad at you, you know? And, but well, isn't this how the house of God's supposed to be, though? Isn't that how the church of God's supposed to operate? That we would be a people that no matter what, end of the day, listen, end of the day, it doesn't matter what you believe, end times, all that stuff, my heart is connected to you. And we're advancing this kingdom together because that is the point. That is the point. I tell people all the time, well, what about, isn't there certain things you have to agree on? Well, I mean, I would definitely say we should probably agree on the foundational truths, if I'm not teaching that Jesus died for your sins and the blood of Jesus is sufficient, there's some th problems. But then you got all these things that are not essential things. They're called non-essentials. Who cares? I don't care. People are like, what did you hear? I really don't care. Well, you're the pastor. I still don't care. Well, did you hear what they believe? It's not my job. That's where control comes in. I just love them more. Can I get an amen? <laughs> where are we at? Oh, boy. All right. All right. Let's keep moving. Paul said, you got 10,000 teachers. Where's your fathers? Here's the thing about fathers, though. To be a good father, you have to know how to be a son. It helps. <laughs> Jesus, he demonstrated this well. One of the things that's interesting about Jesus is that he was known for all of eternity as two things. The son of David and the eternal father. He didn't transition now the son of David and now he's just the eternal father. He said, I have to be the son of David if I want to be the eternal father. He knew the connection between being a son and being a father. And the absolute foundation for us of being, tracking back to the topic of an apostolic church, the absolute foundation of being an apostolic church is knowing our identity. We have to, have to, have to know our identity. Remember when Jesus was baptized? This I love this portion of the Bible. I love that. Here's John the Baptist. He said, he tells him, he says, go out into the wilderness and baptize until I come, right? 
what a job, you know? He's like, bloomf, nope, bloomf. He's baptizing people, and here comes Jesus. And he, and he says, I can't, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. Jesus said, you just need to do it. So he does it. He baptizes him. What happens? Big moment, right? The heavens open. What happens? The voice of the Father speaks to the Son and said, I'm pleased with you. He hadn't done anything yet. Imagine how different it would have been if this happened after the death and resurrection of Jesus and after all of the, all of the different things, or even, even back it up, even before that. Imagine if this had happened when Jesus is doing all these miracles. The different lens we would have on it because we'd say, well, he's proud of him because he's advancing the kingdom. But he said, I'm proud of you. I know you haven't done anything yet, but I just want you to know I'm proud of you. How powerful is that? That he said, I want to come to you before you do anything and say this. I love it. I love it. He said, just like a father says, you're my son. I'm pleased in you. Right out of that, Jesus is taken straight into the wilderness. And what happens? The devil comes to him and he says, well, if you're the son of God, he's immediately challenging him. Like I mentioned, Jesus, he's like, did you not see when the heavens ripped open, the dove came down, landed, what? But isn't that what the enemy does to you and I? He comes along and says, well, if that really happened, if you're really, you know, if you're really that great, I remember there's certain people that speak into my life. I'm really funny about people that I let speak into my life, to be honest with you, because I want life spoken to me. And I hear everybody, but people that I really open up say, just speak into me. I'm very careful about. And one of those people that speak into Tiffany and I is Brian and Candace Simmons. We, we text often. We keep in touch. And I'll never forget when we were going through a really challenging time. And I'll never forget. I was walking him out to the car. It was in the Arboretum Chili's. And, and we're walking out to the car, and I'm getting ready to say goodbye. And I was just like, and it's like, whew, nothing's working. And I remember when he looked at me. He looked at, he said, you guys are, this is what he said. He said, you guys are champions. I'm like, oh, thanks. And, and he's like, no, no, I, I mean it. He's like, you guys are champions. He's like, I like how you lead. He's like, I like the way you lead. And he started naming off these things. And how many of you know, though, it only takes about a week or two before all of a sudden the devil's like, well, if you're really such a champion, why are you? And all of a sudden I've got this moment. You see, he can't change my identity, but if he can get me to partner with what he's saying about my identity, he can change what I think is my identity. I'm going to say that again, because that was really good, and I just came up with that. <laughs> I was like, go Jesus, come on. I don't even know if I can repeat it. But the devil cannot change your identity. You understand that? He can't come in and take you from being a champion to a loser. He can't. He doesn't have any authority over you. Okay, so he can't come in and change your identity, but what he can do is tell you what he thinks about you. And then if he can get you to agree with what he thinks about you, now it's changed what you see about yourself. And you're still a champion, but you see yourself as something completely different. 
And then you start to act like what you see. And you start to act like someone who's always beat up. And you start to act like someone that's this. And if I could trace it back, I can always see I partner with a lie. I shouldn't have listened to that. I shouldn't have said that. Sounds like a t-shirt to me. (laughs) He said, Jesus, I'm proud of you. Heaven's open. The Father said, I'm proud of you. I know you hadn't done anything yet, but you should know I'm proud of you. God knew that for Jesus to make it through, the backbone had to be who he was. And he needed to hear, I'm proud of you. I'm almost done. We always talk about those three temptations. What the biggest thing that he had to overcome right up front was, I am your son. I am his son. It's only that we, when we live from our, it's only that we, when we live from our identity that we can actually accomplish what we're called to do. Um, that's why it's so important not to be like other people. I mean that. And once we leave the concept of family, we've, lo- we've left the kingdom. That's what it says. I feel like when you talk about this, the thing you always run into is people's perspectives with earthly fathers. And some of you have great earthly fathers. Some of you don't. And so you have a breakdown when I'm talking about fathers and mothers. I can feel it in the room. I can usually read it on people's faces too. But if you could trace it back, the reason that many fathers are challenged is because they don't know who they are either. And so they're passing on to their children someone who doesn't know who they are. And so they're teaching them. What, what does that end up with? It always ends up with striving. Almost always a father or a mother that don't know who they are instills into a child that you have to strive. Because that's how you please me. You don't please me by just being who you are. You please me by what you do. And so then you get this generation of this. And then we, don't get me wrong, we need people that work. But then we say, oh, they're a hard worker. And that's good to be a hard worker. But it's not good if your identity is found in what you do. I tell people at all the time, I'm starting on Tuesday. I have the privilege of mentoring like eight to ten pastors for the next 20 weeks. And the first thing that they've got to know is that their identity is in a son, being a son and a daughter. It's not being a pastor. Because if your identity is in that, when you get torn up for that, you'll be lost. People say things about me that are not nice. It really doesn't bother me that much. I mean, I was called a cult leader a couple weeks ago. That one was a little weird. But... So is Jesus, so <laughs> some of the stuff doesn't bother me too much. Uh, uh, it really doesn't because, in all honesty, my identity is in him. 
and I can say, you know what? <laughs> if this is a cult, it's a really happy one. <laughs> and they're having a lot of great families. And their kids are knowing they're loved. And I got little kids spinning before the Lord down here with their hands up in the air, loving on Jesus. Flags from cat things, from, from little kids being twirled around. You call me what you want, baby, but the fruit's good. And the fruit is good. I, listen, when you see that with the children, when I hear them, when I see them praying in the back, when I see it, can't lie about that. Call it what you want. My kids are laying hands on the sick. That's what we want. That's what family's about. And family will stand with you. And if I could encourage you to do anything, folks, if we're going to step into this, there's a lot of, this is one of those sermons where I'm presenting to you a massive concept with a lot of practical sides that I don't have time to talk about or we'd be here all day. But if I could give you one little piece of advice, stand with your family. Stand with them. You don't know how much it means to me when people write me up and just tell me they love me. And I'm not fishing for compliments. I'm really not. It's great when you think I preach a good sermon, but it means more to me when you just like me. (laughs) And it means more to the people around you that you can tell them I'm with you. I'm with you. I have people all the time. There's some people that have been with me for a long time. It means so much. That they're with me because they're family. And when people around you get attacked, listen, family sticks up for family. I'm not saying go beat the other person up for them, but I'm saying st- some of you are like, What's wrong? I can see it like rising up. I'll take them out. <laughs> I can't post anything on the internet anymore. I did that one time. Something someone said, I had like eight people like, who is it? <laughs> My nephew was like, tell me who it is. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Got the Godfather going on over there, man. Uh, <laughs> Guido's going to take you out. <laughs> and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that when people go through things, sometimes they just need someone says, listen, I just love you, man. I'm with you. They do not need you saying, I told you if you did that. I, knew, I told you that was going to blow up in your face. They need someone to come along and say, I'm so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry that. They know in their head. They're not dumb. I shouldn't have done that. But they don't need me to remind them of that. That's what mothers and fathers do. They say, I, I love you. You'll get down the road and say, that was the dumbest thing you ever did. But that's down the road. <laughs> you know, you don't do that with people. You say, I'm sorry. I'm with you. I want to encourage you, and I'm going to wrap up with a word of prayer, and we're going to hear just a moment. I'm going to invite up the prayer team. I want to encourage you to get plugged into the family if this is home. Get plugged into the family. He sets the lonely in families. Sometimes you don't know you're lonely until you get in a family. Me and my wife have this gift of Straight animals show up at our house. Gift, blessings, curse, I don't know. 
We had this one season where about once a month, a dog would show up to my door. I went, to, I went on a vacation to Mexico, and I was laying on a chair, and a dog came and laid underneath my chair. I'm like, what in the world? But we had this time where these animals kept showing up. <laughs> People, it was a joke, because they're like, there's another animal, there's another. And so we had this one animal show up, though. It was a German Shepherd puppy, but he was that big puppy, you know, big old paws, but he was still a puppy. And I'll never forget, German shepherds are supposed to carry themselves strong. That's how they are, you know, stand strong. They don't, they don't, wean, they don't back off. That's how they're made. And um, I remember this dog, I kept seeing it run around the neighborhood, and it kept coming up to me to check me out, and every time I get close, it would tuck its tail and run. And I knew it had been beaten for a number of reasons, because I knew where it came from. And so uh, I kind of tricked it into my garage. <laughs> I got it in there, got it in the corner. I'm like, Timmy, put the garage down, you know? And he's like running in circles, like, no joke. He's peeing all over my garage because he's so scared. And, um, and I remember uh, we left. We, we started getting to know him. We're feeding him. We're loving on him. And one time we were leaving, and I said, all right, we bought this cage for him. We're going to put him in the garage. He was I'm like, he'll be all right. So we left, came home. I walk in the front door of my house, and that dog is standing there looking at me and then he runs and then he pees and runs back to the garage I'm like what what I put you in the cage so I follow him he had opened the cage with his teeth there was teeth marks on my door handle from my garage to my house and he opened the door and he was chilling he's like listen I know where to go and he was in my house. But here's, here's the point we got to. I remember when we began to love him. All of a sudden, he came alive. And it almost became overbearing because he was so big. And he's like, you know, little puppies are all happy. He was like crazy. Like, just love me, 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 just love me. And it got to the point where it was like, all of a sudden, he came alive. And I know this sounds silly, but that is what I see of the lonely being placed in families. They, they don't know what they want until they begin to feel it. Begin, they, they begin to get loved, and they say, this is what, <laughs> you're right, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. People are in worship, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. And they're just having a great time, you know, but that's, that's what it's supposed to be like. You won't have to drag your rear to church if you're like, I get to go be with my family. I get up, I'm like, man, I got all these people, I'm going to talk to you and you and you, and then I never get to talk to them because it's so busy. But come be in the family. Love people. Amen? Let's stand up. We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning, so just listen to me for a second. I'm actually going to invite up the prayer team right now, and I'm also going to ask some of my ministry team, my leadership team, to come up, if you would. And I'm going to have everyone else just close your eyes. I'm going to pray with you while we do this. God wants to set you in a family. There's a few of you here this morning that I can feel very strongly in my spirit that God wants to set you in a family. And I gave you this visual, not to just be funny, but that, 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 that German shepherd kept wanting to run off until he found out what it was like to be in a family. And then he wanted to stay. Some of you, because there's hurt, because there's pain, so many different things... You keep heading out. 
And God is saying, I want to plant you in family. Just want to have a, a, just an opportunity to be transparent. If you're here and you say, I've, I've, listen, I've, I've heard the family sermon before and I've maybe even been let down before, but I feel like the Holy Spirit speaking to me, it's time to plant myself again. This is not about membership, folks. This is about being in a family. If you say, I feel God telling me to plant myself, I just want you to raise your hand. I see your hand. I see hands. Thank you. Thanks for being honest. Thank you. You could put your hand down. How many of you, if you were to be honest, say that this, this topic is, and then maybe some of the same people say, this has been, this is a challenge for me, the idea of family. Put your hand up. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, I release so much love in this room. I pray that it would flush out every emotion that's attached to an experience. This is a different type of warfare. This is good. We just release heaven over everyone in this room. For those of you who just raised your hand, I feel like the Lord wants you to know that he's going to just release so much love on you. It's just gonna break through it. Right now. Right now. Come on, we're just gonna wait a second. Love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Some of you in this room, you're called to be. I really do believe everybody's called to be a mother and a father and a son and a daughter. But some of you specifically, right now there is a grace on you to be a mother and a father. And that's not something that you, you go to a class for. <laughs> that's something that the Lord puts together. But your job is just to say yes. I want to talk to the mothers and fathers. If you feel that grace on your life, he's just looking for you to say yes. It takes your time. It takes your resources. But it's so important. Just say yes. If that's you, just say yes. Sons and daughters. That's all of us. Teach us how to be sons. Teach us how to be daughters.